Hello again, friends, and you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. This week, reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from December 24th, 1983, taped in part December 7th, 1983, at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last, my pleasure to be with you once again, and joining me, of course, as he does each and every week, from Booking the Territory, Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing well, sitting here on this lovely December 24th, 1983 morning. I was literally just sitting there trying to figure out that day, what was I waiting on the next day on Christmas for that year? And I didn't want to Google it, so I'm taking a guess. But that I wasn't waiting on a Cabbage Patch Kid, but that I think was the Cabbage Patch Kid year. And I'm trying to think of what else would have been that year. And I'm drawing a blank. I'm trying to think, was it Castle Grayskull uh, from He-Man? I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. What would have been the big toy that I would have been dying to get and would have never slept on that night as I waited? 1983, yeah. maybe something from Return of the Jedi? Yeah, okay, so maybe, maybe... The Ewok playset? Yeah. I mean, that was a pretty cool thing I got around that period of time. That was awesome. You can capture the other figures in the net. You had a little Ewok slide thing in a fake tree. You can capture C-3PO and barbecue. I mean, now I think about it, it's a pretty <laughs> gruesome playset for a child, but it worked. It was the time. Uh, I kind of yeah. want one now, now that I think about it, but maybe that. They had the creature that Luke fought in Jabba the Hutt's pit that he ended up killing first after throwing rocks at him. He then outsmarted <laughs> him and crushed his head with some kind of vice. They had that guy in his alive form. So it was a couple ideas. I, I, it wasn't that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really drawing a blank. So I'm going to have to look it up. G.I. Joe was back in action fighting the dastardly forces of Cobra. Were you a G.I. Joe fan? I, I was, but I was a big He-Man guy. I, I, I liked the... You know, the Castle Grayskull and Snake Mountain and and those things were I was really, really, really into He-Man. Now, I had some friends and family who had very big Star Wars collections. So that stuff is ringing a bell when you talk about Star Wars. Uh, I've got two cousins who have so much Star Wars stuff. It's even to this day, it's unreal. So it had to but I'm just not. I feel. Well, I have I right here. I have a list, Mike, and we will get to wrestling shortly. I apologize, everyone, yeah, but will. this is a holiday show, a festive show. Bill yeah. Watts is in a festive mood. We'll talk about that in a moment. Oh yes. But the big Christmas gifts of 1983. Now you said obviously you wouldn't be Cabbage Patch Kids. Right, I wouldn't. But was that the year? I feel like 83 was, was the year. year for that. 83 was the year of Cabbage Patch Kids. Of course, GI Joe APC is listed here as one of the big gifts and. Perhaps you were into one of the other two big ones, Care Bears. Oh, God, no. <laughs> and, of course, there's My Little Pony as well as Rainbow Bright. Were you a Rainbow Bright fan? You know, nothing against our lady <laughs> listeners out there, but those sound like, you know, young girl toys from that time period. Like, none of that screams, you know, boys who just like to play with their action figures and, you know, get dirty and make them fight and all that stuff. You know what? 84, for the record, a year later, sounds much better. The big gifts in 84, Optimus Prime, Pound Puppies. Okay, so there's one for the girls and probably some of the boys, too, because they were kind of cute, those little things. The A-team, Prime. The A-Team Van. Oh, wow. The R2-D2 Toy Box. And I remember that. And this one was a big one for me and my friends. The Tonka Go-Bots. Oh, yeah, the GoBots. Okay, yeah, I remember that. I, I actually think I had the R2-D2 little uh, gimmick deal. Uh, now that I think about it. The R2-D2 toy box? I, was, it like a, was it like a carry case? Not an actual big toy box. It, like, I remember I that. The, the thing you're talking about, if that's what it is, I remember exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it wasn't like a big toy box that sat on the floor. or It was like... It was almost like it had a handle and you could put the... And it was the shape like, of R2-D2, yeah. Yeah, and you put like the action figures in it and stuff. Like, I, I feel like that was it. Interesting, though. That was 84. So 83, 
Yeah, 83 just seems weird. I feel like 83 was Castle Grayskull for me, which I did not sleep that night. I remember it to this day. I was like, God, I want that thing so bad. And I feel, and I got it, but I just feel like that was that night. And Castle Grayskull, yeah. 1981. Yeah. Oh, shoot. I missed it by two years. Wow. Okay, well, you know, Mike's memory isn't great, but we figured that out. <laughs> but let's try to use his memory to watch old wrestling right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Brian, you alluded to it. We're December 24th, 1983, uh, when this is approximately aired. You said it, Bill Watts. Um, go ahead. Let's jump into it, I guess. Well, Bill Watts is hosting by himself because Boyd Pierce is on vacation. We don't know where the hell Reeser is. Nothing has been said about Reeser in weeks. Jim Ross is kind of the jack of all trades right now. Bill Watts is wearing his, I don't know, his Andy Cap hat. Looks like a cab driver in London in a comic book. I don't know what this look is that Bill Watts has going here, but Bill Watts is by himself celebrating the holiday season. And because of that, a somewhat different episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Let's start right now with the cowboy and this will go into a video the latest chapter i guess and the story of magnum ta and his trainer mr wrestling 2 hi wrestling fans we hope your holiday season has been wonderful for you and your family boyd pierce is on a well-deserved christmas vacation we're looking forward to the greatest year ever in 1984 here on mid-south wrestling lots of great things happening a lot of new stars are on the way to mid-south today we will see hacksaw dugan against the turncoat crusher darso also a great television main event leaping lanny poffo and the iceman king parsons against hacksaw butch reed and jim the anvil Nightheart. a great one of the newcomers on the way terry taylor also the midnight express but right now, courtesy of the Mid-South cameras, we're going to give you some more of that insight into what it takes to pay the price. You know, without pain, there is no gain, is an old saying in sports. And we're going to see right now how Wrestling 2 has been driving Magnum T.A. to seek his quest for a championship. It's been another grueling day in the training regiment of Magnum Terry Allen and these workouts conducted by Mr. Wrestling 2, Magnum T.A.'s coach, We've seen several hours of viewing film of previous matches by Mr. Two and Magnum Terry Allen. Also, we've been on the five-mile run out in the, in the freezing cold weather. Now we're in the gymnasium, and Mr. Wrestling Two is taking Magnum T.A. through some stretching exercises. Let's watch what they're doing now and go over and get a closer look. Side to side. Side to side. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Let me show you. Look, get your legs far apart as you can. You want to stretch this in here. Get that good and tight. You come out, toes up in the air. Okay, from here, down, down, down. Get all the way down, down. From one to side, down, down. Okay, come on, come on. Throughout this grueling workout that has been overseen by Mr. Wrestling 2, Magnum Terry Allen has been put through his paces, I must say, but it's also looked to me like that you have really emphasized the lower body. I know that you gave the analogy about the table legs, but uh, can you give us just a little bit more information about the emphasizing of the lower body in these workouts? Well, uh, like I said before, uh, we're just, I'm trying to develop power and strength and drive. And as you can see right now, we're gonna do some, come on, Terry, uh, go on with this. That's it. Now this is, of course, develops the upper uh, muscles in here in your thigh and gives you a uh, good leg lift, leg power. Uh, so uh, once again, it goes into uh, driving power. Just like the U.S. mail, in all kinds of weather, under all conditionings, your training must go on. And remember, without pain, there is no gain. And we've seen a little bit further of what the price is that each of these top stars has to pay in order to dominate their sport. We'll be back with more action with Jim Ross and Magnum T.A. will get to join in as Wrestling 2 wrestles Larry Higgins. And, of course, T.A. will get to give some insight about his coach now. We'll be back after these messages from Mid-South. Well, there we have it, Mike, the show intro with Cowboy Bill Watts and another video of Magnum T.A. being trained by Mr. Wrestling 2. They really heavily use the name Terry Allen here for the first time in a little while. I believe this has to be Bill Watts' home gym because they said that he's in the gymnasium. Most gymnasiums don't look like they're in a home and they have a giant fish on the wall, but 
What are your thoughts on this video and the beginning of this episode? Yeah, I believe that I believe this is Watts's place, and it's got the it's like a shark on the wall uh, that that's behind Jr. as as he's talking to two. So the first thing is, I mean, I kind of like just the fact that they show them working out, they're stretching, and Magnum's focusing on like um you know squats and leg presses. So that's all good, you know. the The training behind the wrestling, I guess, is what we're looking for here. You know, he's building up his strength and whatnot. The ridiculous thing about this is what two has on he's got his mask on for obvious reasons i don't know if those are white jean shorts or those are white coaches shorts but he's got a white <laughs> undershirt not not a a shirt you know the tank top shirt just the the white undershirt with the sleeves on it tucked in to the coaches shorts that are white or jean shorts and they're relatively short by today's standards and he's also got his wrestling boots on. That's what he's training Magnum in. The visual is stunning, and that's why I wanted to, to, to describe it to you uh, out there listening so you can imagine what this looks like. And if you've got, you know, the network, Peacock, whatever, you can see exactly what we're talking about here. Brian, any thoughts on what two is wearing? No, he looks ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And just... The whole point where Jim Ross is like, oh, let's go. Let's go see what's happening. And T.A. stretching it, too. He's like, no, no, no. This is how you do it. Toes up. He was doing it the same way that Magnum T.A. was just doing it. He's like Mr. <laughs> Miyagi without the redeeming qualities. He's never nice to the guy. I see no, your friends here crusty. with Poffo. He's a piece of crap. Remember, Brian, he's crusty. <laughs> he's crusty. Remember, he's. Crusty. You know, we say curmudgeon, but he's crusty in the words of Bill Watts. He's very mean to Magnum. And, you know, I got to say, he he keeps up that persona throughout this partnership, if you think about it. He never changes it. That is true. His yeah. crustiness only grows throughout 1984. But with that said, let's go to our first match here, Mike. Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Larry Higgins with Johnny Martinez as the referee. Play a little bit of audio here at the beginning of the match. Because Jim Ross has a very special guest on commentary for Mr. Wrestling 2's match. Wrestling fans, before we go to the ring for the next great bout between Mr. Wrestling 2 and Big Larry Higgins, my associate here at Mike's side will be, this time, will be Magnum T.A. And Magnum T.A., I know a lot of, all the people should know by now that you have a tremendous alliance with Mr. Wrestling 2. And I know that you're sitting here with, uh, not only as an interested fan, but also as a very interested friend of, of uh, Mr. Wrestling 2. Uh, yes, the, the time we spend the gym, I've gained a great deal of admiration for the man. Outside of his 25 years of wrestling experience, he's also, he's just a great person all around, Jim. Well, he's a great man, and it should be a great match between him and Big Larry Higgins. Let's go to the ring now, and you're ringing out your boy, Pierce. Looks like Magnum T.A. borrowed Bill Watts's coat here for this. You know, one thing about Magnum is a baby face. That's one of those things why people think he would have been a great heel one day. He's never happy, ever. You know, Mr. Wrestling 2's... Now that I think about it, they were perfect together. Mr. Wrestling 2's crusty. Magnum T.A. is too, and he's like 20-something. He would have been a phenomenal heel if he doesn't have that accident and they can eventually turn him. Because he had every quality that I think could have made people mad at him. I mean, he was a good-looking dude. You know, he the whole Magnum P.I. thing. I mean, he's it's like, you know, that was the flavor of, of the of of what was going on back then. So if they would have turned him, I mean, women loved Magnum P.I. and they love Magnum T.A. So, yeah, if they'd have turned him, he'd have been great. And you're right. He's kind of got the mannerisms of a heel because he's never really he's never happy. I mean, even if you think back, not just in Mid-South, go look at all those Crockett shows. And, you know, when he's all those Saturday night promos. He cuts a lot of angry promos on those Saturday night on TBS shows. So I agree with you, man. He'd have been great. Uh, and that's probably why they get along. You had a good point, Brian. They're, they're both crusty in their own different ways. Magnum, well, Magnum's not crusty yet. He's just not happy. Larry Higgins continues to be a really entertaining guy to watch. Doesn't mean he's good. Although he's kind of good at some of the small things, like getting the crowd into it and selling his face. But he's bad at a lot of things, and I don't know what you thought, but it appeared to me that Wrestling 2 may not have been happy with the fact that Higgins was not kicking out, but really active while he was getting pinned after the knee lift. And then he kind of got up 
quicker than usual. I guess I should say quicker than most people would. Did you see that too? You stole my thunder because two was working the, the, the leg and the knee of Higgins for a while. And then two, eventually, you know, he's going to hit Higgins with the knee lift and man Higgins. It was like he had trouble staying down for the three count because at 2.95, he's kicking out and two is holding him down kind of. And then even after what you just mentioned, he wrote like Higgins is getting up after the knee lift. And I thought immediately to myself here, we just praised him in that Lawler match, but it's like, he didn't learn his lesson from when Orndorff cracked the heck out of him upstairs a couple years ago. I mean, he, he's, you getting, saw two things. He, <laughs> so that's yeah. <a> yes. <laughs> yeah. He got it like, to, and, and here's the thing. If you watch the replay of two hitting him with the knee, he, he he takes it great. He he pops back and takes the back bump, but then he won't stop wiggling on the ground. He's like a damn worm. He's he's just like wiggling nonstop. I don't know how to explain it other than that. And then he gets up. He rolls up from it. Then two's watching him, and I'm thinking, boy, two's gonna tell him something in the back. So he yeah he did not. He took a great bump, but then he wouldn't. That was it. He he was like it didn't phase him. I think two was mad. I do think two was mad. The Adam. look, the look he gives him when he gets up and he sees that he's moving because he he felt that he was like again not kicking out but almost kicking out of the pin. So he right. gets up a little bit annoyed, and as he gets up a little bit annoyed, he sees that Higgins is just getting up too. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. funny. It is like when you watch it. That my immediate thought was, damn, he didn't learn his lesson from when he did this to Orndorff. And like the story I told that one man gang said years ago, how Orndorff basically cracked the hell out of him in the back afterwards because he got up from his finisher after he was pinned. Like he just got up like he was fine. He took the pin, but then rolled up. He did the same thing here. So I, I, I'm betting two had some words with him in the back. I wouldn't doubt it. Well, my guy, our next match, a pretty big match here on the show, Crusher Darso with Nikolai Volkov in his corner with the Russian flag. Versus Hacksaw Duggan, Johnny Martinez, the referee, Jerry the King Lawler on commentary. Now let's play a little bit of the opening minute of this match because it's a hot opening to the match with Duggan attacking Darso, but also the very first time ever that Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler did commentary together. Let's hear this. Well, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And Crusher Darso in this match of Mid-South Wrestling. And here with me at my side is the king, Jerry Lawler. And Jerry, this one started off like a house of fire, well, just like we knew it would. Well, it sure has, Jim. You know, uh, I've wrestled all over the country. This is my first uh, time down here in Mid-South Wrestling. I've heard nothing but good things about it. One of the hotbeds of professional wrestling. And a match just like this uh, proves that that's exactly true. Uh, Hacksaw Dugan and uh, this Crusher Darso. What a feud they've got going. Oh, yeah, they certainly do, of course. Jim Duggan is, is truly an All-American, a great former college football player at SMU, former pro football player with the Atlanta Falcons. He's America personified. And going against the turncoat, a man that I've talked to many, many times, I can't figure him out, neither can anybody else, Crusher Darso. He's betrayed his country, his friends, his family, everything. He's thrown everything away to go with Nikolai Volkov, a man from Russia, a man that's extremely proud of his homeland. And Jerry, I know you have a lot of a patriotic, everybody at this point in time, we have everybody's, the Americans have been rallying around. We've got to stand up and take a stand where we're Americans. I know you feel the same way. Well, absolutely, I feel the same way. I feel the same way that every person that you see out in that audience feels. As you can see, the hundreds of people are standing on their feet. They're waving the American flag. They're, they're shouting USA. And, uh, you know, I can't understand, just like you say, I can't understand a guy like Crusher Darso who would throw all this to the wind uh, to team up with a guy like Nikolai Volkov. I think that, you know, it, it's just a matter of time before he learns the mistake he's made, and he's in the ring right now with a gentleman who may just show him the error of his ways. That's exactly right. And, of course, if you join us late, wrestling fans, I'm Jim Ross, and here at Mike's side with me, uh, the Jerry the King Lawler, and I'm very happy to have him here to add some some great expert commentary and some of the inside things that are going on you know well there it is mike the very first time ever jim ross and jerry lawler on commentary here in mid-south december 24th 1983 is the episode december 7th 1983 is the taping what are your thoughts on 
The first time we hear this pairing, but more importantly to the episode, Darso and Duggan. Well, Jim Ross is, I mean, you can tell he's got his bullet points from Cowboy Bill Watts. He used the term. <laughs> Russia, Russia, term, Russia. Yeah. <laughs> the way he used the term, like, I mean, every even the words he chooses, turncoat, you know, um, uh, turn his back on his crown. Like just the phrasing. I mean, it's basically Bill Watts just speaking through Jim Ross. So, and I don't blame Jr. Jr.'s even today he'll tell you if, if you ever hear him on various interviews, even in the past, he was like, "I just told David Cowboy wanted me to do," and he's regurgitating it, and it, it makes sense. This match uh, and, and Lawler was good there too. Uh, he slipped up on one word, but uh, you know it happens. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, just just mention it. Like I said, it happens. This this match is on and popping from the beginning, so to speak. You know, Duggan comes in and he shouldn't wait. He's there's some heat here, you know. I mean, Duggan's a proud American. We've got the whole Russian angle going. Watts has been talking about this for weeks now. There's no reason Jim Duggan should come in here and take it easy on Darso. He's gonna go right at him and just like he should. Nothing makes me more mad in modern wrestling when guys who supposedly have heat just stand there two feet from each other. Like, yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have a conversation, even though I should be mad at you and be trying to split your head open. Duggan doesn't do that. He goes right after him. And I thought this was solid, just hard-hitting match between two big guys. I felt the fans are into it. I mean, they're waving the flags almost throughout. You see kids in the background, they're waving them. It's just a good, solid, I was going to say opener, but it wasn't really the opener for this week. But it's a good, solid match with two big, tough guys. And we've been waiting for this kind of to, to see something fair and square with these guys in the ring. And we're getting it. Now, fair and square, because it's Mid-South, doesn't happen on Mid-South television, but we'll get to that shortly. <laughs> well, we're going to play a little more audio of this match from the finish of this match, but a few important things to note, because this is a very entertaining series of events, including but not limited to a barefoot Rick Rude hitting the ring in his Speedo. <laughs> but to me, the highlight is, not to play spoiler, we're going to hear the audio, after the finish, after the Russian switch places, a fan in the top left corner of the screen goes to grab a chair to hit the Russians with it, and it looks like someone yanks it back. And by the way, the fan stays. He doesn't leave. But if you watch this, as you're listening to this, some of you like to watch along, after the finish, and they roll out of the ring, watch the top left corner. But let's go to this audio now, the finish of this match, with Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Darso, Darso at 303 pounds, and Jerry, there's not an ounce of fat on that man. No, and you can see the bond that these two. Well, there he went for, uh, went for Duggan's maneuver. Oh, oh, gosh, he knocked the referee right out of the ring on his head. The referee hit the concrete, hit his head on the concrete. Here comes the spear. He's down. That could be it. And Volkov, look at Volkov's Volkov. in the ring. Volkov seizing the moment. Volkov seizing the moment. Look at Vol Volkov is covering Duggan. Volkov's no, covering. The ref it's the wrong man. It's the wrong. The wrong man. Volkov is covering Duggan. And uh, Martinez, who is, looks to be out on his feet, has called for the bell. It's the wrong man. Jerry Lawler here. Has, everyone has seen it that Darso and oh. Volkov has switched places. Darso. Darso was not the Darso was the man. The ring. Hold it! Here comes here comes Magnum TA. He's gonna. Magnum TA is telling Johnny Martinez. I'm sure he was watching the action from the dressing room on the monitor. All the people are trying to tell the referee. The referee, in his defense, was not completely out of the ring. There. Here's right. another referee. Hopefully, we'll get this situation taken care of right here. Referee Pee Wee Anderson coming down. The referees are having a conference there, and Martinez. And there Martinez, you go. Martinez has reversed the decision. The winner of the match is Hacksaw Jim watch Duggan. It, watch and it. Well, I tell you, we've got a Pier 6 brawl now. We've got four men in the ring. And Jerry, they're going at it. They're going at it. Magnum TA is squared off with Darso. And look at Duggan and the big rush. And here comes it's Reed. It. Reed. Hacksaw Reed in from outside. And we know that Reed and, and TA, look at the TA reverses it. Reed goes into the post. There's no love lost between TA and Hacksaw Butch Reed. And Reed goes into the post, and another referee goes out. And now here comes Neidhart. Here comes Reed's tag team partner, and they lock, he locks up with Duggan. 
Here comes Reed back in the ring. They've got, they've got these guys in a bad way. They need some help. We've got T.A. and, one and Jim Duggan are at a disadvantage. One referee's late on the floor. Martinez is out again. Boy, we've got a, we've got everybody in the ring. We've Here got, comes Wrestling 2. Mr. Wrestling 2's coming to the ring. Here comes Leaping Lanny Poffo and the, the Iceman. Ice that'll, that'll straighten some things out up there. Referee's calling for the bell. Volkoff and Darso, Neidhart and Reed making a quick exit. We have a winner. The winner is Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and then a Pier 6 brawl ensued. Thanks very much to Jerry Lawler for being here, and wrestling fans, we'll be back with more wrestling action after this word from the Mid-South Wrestling Television Network. Well, there it is, Mike. As I said, a very entertaining series of events. I almost feel like they should have ended the show with that because it was such a entertaining series of events and a hot finish. But what are your thoughts on all of that? Do you want to talk about the fan first that grabs the chair and then somebody grabs it from him? Right. So is that what, that's from, what I thought. Someone grabs it from him when he goes for it, right? Yes, that's exactly what happens. The fan, as the pin happened, he turns around, grabs a chair. I can't tell how young or old this person is, though. Looks like a relatively young individual, maybe in the 20s or 30s. I don't know. What do you think? It's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell. I think younger based on the speed and grabbing the chair. Yeah. Well, if you listen to Book in the Territory, we often use the term that someone worked themselves into a shoot. This dude has worked into a shoot. He, he's grabbing the chair. He wants to go after the Russians. Uh, and somebody grabs the chair from him to stop him, thankfully, uh, because he would have got dealt with if he does grab that chair and goes after him. It was funny, though, so I did catch it. This is a pretty good little segment, though, Brian, because first we had the fan with the chair, but we also had the finish where it was really crafty what they did. Duggan hits the spear on Darso. Darso flies into the ref. The ref goes out, takes a bump on the outside of the ring. Nikolai's out there, so Nikolai rolls into the ring. You know, he hits uh, Duggan, and we end up with, like, the old switcheroo where Nikolai is pinning Duggan, but he's got his head down, so the thought process is the... The referee is kind of, you know, groggy and out of it. He doesn't even notice it. They've got the same color tights on. He just counts the pin. He doesn't realize that's Nikolai in the ring. So you get that. So Duggan looks like he loses. But then we get the whole thing where Magnum comes in and he tells the referee, Martinez, what happened. Pee Wee Anderson comes in and confirms what happened. So then they reverse the decision. They give the win to Duggan. And then Magnum hits the ring. And all of a sudden, we've got a brawl between Magnum and Duggan and the Russians. Reed comes out. And then Nightheart comes out, and then I, Iceman, and then you see finally, like you said, Rick Rude, barefoot in a Speedo, slides underneath the bottom rope <laughs> to come help. <laughs> Tremendous. Constantly stuff. adjusting his Speedo, too, if you watch. <laughs> uh, this is one heck of a segment between the... Between the actual finish, which was good, I liked it, and the fan grabbing the chair to Rick Rude hitting the ring in a Speedo with nothing else on. Hey, seeing Wrestling 2 hit the ring in his suit, oh, I wasn't even, I don't even know what he was wearing, his plaid pants and his suit jacket. Yeah. Do you think he was wearing his white boxers and his white t-shirt underneath that? Is he like always ready to do his workout, his little squat workout? 900% true, Brian. <laughs> you know it and I know it. He's got that same undershirt and the white boxers on underneath that, that those pants. I mean, this isn't it. I'm serious. Like, <laughs> we like to laugh and have fun. But the, the visual to, you know, the tie and the shirt and the pants with the pattern on it. And Rick Rude with the Speedo and not, he's got nothing else on. He's got a Speedo on and nothing else. And like Brian said, he's adjusting himself. It's like Watts ran back there and was like, what did you forget? Get out there. And he's like, oh, damn. And he ain't going to want to you know, piss off Watts, so he hits the ring. And I feel like he, that's what happened because he's the last one to hit the ring in the Speedo. Yeah, you know what else is oh. funny? I, you know, Think about Watts' reaction to various things on this show. All right, you could have Rick Rude and you could have Larry Higgins. You know, like, who did he send to Memphis? It was the guys who, on this show, you're like, what's going on here? 
Yeah. Even Lanny Poffo, technically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this is this is interesting to say the least. Just again, the chair, the guy with the chair, who was going to get dealt with if he he stays goes up to the Russians. He's there the rest yeah, of the he... show, standing up, yelling, screaming. <laughs> oh, they didn't even kick him out. It's great. You you know on a recent on a recent I don't know if it was a drive through a cornet experience you and Corny were talking about how nowadays there's there's literally barricades around the ring you know you you can't you can't get near the wrestlers and and I will say I mean obviously like when they're in New Orleans there's a barricade in New Orleans you can see it I mean if we were in the Superdome or downtown Municipal those are old police barricades are around the ring so but it's funny because I bring that up because yeah modern wrestling like. There's never been more security around rings, whereas, you know, in a sportatorium, you had a rope or in the Irish McNeil, you had nothing during this time. Now, they're going to have rails up like later on. But nowadays, like there's no rope or anything. It's just a dude standing a few feet from the ring who picks up a chair. And you're right. He stays. So here's a guy who is threatening, basically a pretty threatening gesture towards the wrestlers picking up a chair. But he stays. He stays. Well, he was going to hit the Russian. <laughs> I mean, if there was any way to make Bill Watts say, you know what, you could stay, because I love Estonia, and my wife's from Estonia, whatever his defense would be. Yeah. This is, we pointed out so many good things. This was a tremendous, it was a tremendous finish and a tremendous segment overall. Well, our next segment, I think, is the real highlight of the show, because it's the first time Jim Cornette's just let loose on TV. The Midnight Express... Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton with Jim Cornette versus Coco Ware and Mike Jackson. This is a hot TV match. Really, really good. Coco's great here. Mike Jackson's great. Of course, the Express. But let's hear the intro. Boyd Pierce being interrupted by Jim Cornette. The look on Boyd Pierce's face for Jim Cornette's entire intro. Boyd Pierce is staring a hole through him. I've never seen Boyd Pierce like this before. But let's hear this intro. Your next event, tag team match, one fall with a 10-minute time limit at 220 pounds from Union City, Tennessee, Coco Ware. His team partner, 202 pounds, Birmingham, Alabama, Mike Jackson. Their opponent... That's good, Boyd Pierce. That's enough. Let me ask you something. Where did you get that suit? The guy couldn't guess your weight or what, huh? Did you lose a bet? Let me tell you something. As you know by now, my name is Jimmy Cornette, the most successful manager in professional wrestling, and I manage the most awesome tag team of all time, of all professional wrestling, the lover boy, Dennis Condry, and beautiful Bobby Eaton, ladies and gentlemen, the Midnight Express. Well, there it is, Mike, the introduction. We're going to talk about the match in a few moments and play more audio, but what did you think of that look that Boyd Pierce gave Cornette? So before that, when Boyd is announcing Coco and Mike Jackson, Cornette is looking Boyd up and down like, look at this clown and buffoon. He's just eyeballing him up and down as Boyd's talking. It's very funny. And then... Cordy just the suit is relatively big on Boyd. It's not like it's not huge, but it does look possibly a size or two larger than it needed to be. So Cordy just, you know, he tells him that's a hell of a suit. The guy couldn't guess your weight. And Boyd, if he's working, he's not happy. He's certainly making it look like he's not happy at all. He's staring a hole through Jim Cornette's head as he looks at him as Corny talks. He, he looks mad. <laughs> so it was good this was good well like i said this is really jim Cornette unleashed we will talk about the match in a little bit but let's hear the commentary because jim Cornette goes to the table so it's jim ross and jim Cornette, or jim Cornette. really he's kind of like bill watts here jim ross can't get a word in let's hear this privilege if you want to call it that of having jim Cornette join me at uh mike's side here to offer his insight as only he can do and Jim Cornette will be here to talk about the Midnight Express. 
as you can see, the Midnight Express, you know a lot of people have been saying, these two men, they have such tremendous teamwork, are they exactly alike? And I said, no, look at him right here, just lulling the man into a false sense of security. I say, no, these men are not exactly alike. You can see Dennis is the cooler one, the calmer one, more methodical. He takes his man down, takes him to the mat, and systematically takes him apart. Beautiful Bobby up there, he's just a little bit wilder. Sometimes he goes off, it doesn't seem like he cares what happens to himself or his opponent. That's why they're so great, because they encompass all styles. Look, just lulling the man into a false sense of security right now, that's how they can do what they do in the ring. Well, he doesn't but, seem too secure at this point in time in my book. Oh, oh, this is merely an illusion. What's happening right now is that he's feeling the man out. He's seeing what the guy can do. Look at there, he's got things well in hand right now. You know, everybody also has been coming up to me the past few weeks in the Mid-South, and they're saying, Jimmy Cornette, Beautiful Bobby and, and lover boy Dennis, they're not quite as big as the teams we're used to seeing. And I say that's exactly correct, and that is a part of their success also, Jim Ross, because they're quick, they're agile, they strike, and then they're gone. They strike like a snake, cut like a knife, and then they're gone under cover of the night. You understand what I'm saying? I understand exactly what you're saying. I also understand that Coco Ware has got that full Nelson. He's got it firmly locked Coco, in. Coco Ware, if I paid a nickel for him, I'd get change back. Do you understand what I'm saying, Jim Ross? This is just an illusion. They are lulling the men into false sense of security there. As you can see, they have things well in hand once again. And there you see the strength of Dennis Condry. He has the ability to match strength and speed with a 300-pounder and come away successful. Well, Coco Ware trying to fight back against... Coco Ware, all, that, all he's doing is trying to fight back. Beautiful Bobby will take things into command right there, as you can see. And Coco Ware, <laughs> with a tremendous miscalculation, and I'll tell you, he's Coco gonna... Ware is a tremendous miscalculation. Jim Ross, you know, he won a legal battle recently. He sued his body for non-support. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. But I'll tell you one thing. Dennis Condry now trying to take over on Coco Ware. And Coco Ware, Condry. Beautiful lover boy. Call him lover boy. That's the man's name. A tag on beautiful Bobby coming in now. As you see, look at that. Beautiful Bobby strikes like a snake, like a coiled cobra. He's fantastic. The Midnight Express, I would have to go on record as saying, and look at this beautiful move right here. Do it, beautiful, as only you can. Look at that, Jim Ross. Have you ever seen a man do anything like that before? Well, it was, it was a devastating maneuver. There's no, there's no doubt about that. You know, as I was saying, getting back to the men's size, there's people are saying to me, can these men match strength with a 300-pound man? And I say, do you know how big a buzzsaw is, Jim Ross? A buzzsaw is not too big, but once you grab a hold of it, you find out pretty quickly you can't handle it. Look at this man right here. He just fell on his face, and the lover boy's in control. Just, just a momentary lapse there. Mike Jackson has got the arm Look bar. At, shut up, Jim Ross. Who's doing this? Are you here to interview or interrupt? You can see Dennis Condry. Look at the man's expression. Look at the man's face. Those cold, calculating eyes. Even when he is in a hold, even when his opponent has him temporarily down, he's thinking. The wheels are turning in that mind. And look at that. Speaking of turning, a turnaround power slam by beautiful Bobby. Dennis's, Dennis's mind is always working. He's cold. He's calculating. He's methodical. He's almost, I would have to say, cruel. But I don't really care because he's not cruel to me, you understand. And beautiful Bobby over there, as I said before, he's just a little bit wild sometimes. You know, you never know what the man is going to do. Sometimes I have to calm him down myself. I'm one of the only people who can control the man simply because I possess the one factor that blends these two men together. My mind, my intelligence, my ability to make contracts. You know, I've for a time played the stock market. But I found that, that Wall Street was really uh, too easy for me. It didn't tax my cerebral capacities. So I decided to turn my attention to my favorite sport, professional wrestling. And now these two men are what I am molding into possibly the greatest thing ever to happen to professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. I'm molding them. Now look at this. The man is obviously pulling hair here. Can you see that? The man is obviously, he pulled the men's hair. Coco Ware is coming back, and they may be fabulous. Now, Coco Ware is breaking the rules, and they may be fabulous, and they are again. Look at this, and here you see it, the Midnight Massacre. You might as well say the day after, because that's going to be the end of Coco Ware right there. <laughs> well, Eaton's on top. Referee Pee Wee Anderson counts that's one, it. two, and three. And all I've got to say, Jim Ross, one final comment. Anybody that challenges the Midnight Express is going to end up on more floors than Johnson's Wax. Well, those are the comments, obviously biased, but a great team indeed, the Midnight Express. And we'll be back with more Mid-South Wrestling action after this word from the network.
Well, there it is, Mike. The Midnight Express winning with what Jim Cornette called the Midnight Massacre, which would have been a great name for that move. I don't think they really used it too much further. But a couple of notes before I turn it over to you. Good match. Exciting match. When Coco Ware misses the Express and posts himself, you can hear the whole room go, oh! And you can see the entire row of women there all lose it. At the idea of because they never saw that before. Now it's a standard thing, a guy falling and hitting his balls and the ropes. Watch everyone's reaction and listen to everyone's reaction. But the real story here is Jim Cornette, besides telling Jim Ross to shut up, which was funny, on fire here. What are your thoughts on the match, the commentary, the whole shebang? Mike Jackson and Coco are phenomenal during this. You know, they they actually both get a little bit of offense in, so it's not a complete squash but it was still like maybe a five minute match or so so they got a little bit of offense in but the midnight at the same time they kind of dominated i just like corny just explaining things that we've also heard you know jr i'm sorry we heard watts say he addresses the midnight express's size and how you know they're not they're not as big as most of the talent here but they're like a buzzsaw you know but a buzzsaw is small but it does a lot of damage. So he kind of makes that comparison. Another thing, too, I don't remember how tall Dennis is, but, man, him and Coco were in there at one point together, and I was like, God, Coco looks short. Now, I know Coco's not a, a tall man, but he looked he looked a lot shorter than I remember standing next to Dennis. I guess Dennis, it just seemed like Dennis was taller than I remembered, and Coco was shorter, but that's just me. Coco looks short in there next to these two now he's compact so it's not like you're you know you've got a you've got a solid man as i say that he doesn't look out of place at all and again he's in there working hard and you know you made the reference about what he posted himself so yeah these the, jackson and coco although getting a little offense in they're doing their jobs man it, they're they're making the midnight look good and the midnight look good and doing everything they do corny's commentary is great you know he talks about if i if i paid a nickel for coco i'd get change back you know I think he said something else. If Coco won a legal battle recently, he sued his body for lack of support. I thought that was just, you know, it's just Cornette just going in on things. And like you said, he tells JR to shut up at one point because he's got to get his <laughs> stuff in. I thought that was good. It's it's just really good stuff. And then he, he makes a reference that I don't know if, if you're a young listener of ours you would get. He talks about, the you know, anybody who challenges the Midnight Express will land on more floors than Johnson's Wax. Do they even wax floors anymore? I don't know as I asked that question. that's That feels like a, a dated reference. Uh, but again, I mean, this is, you know, almost 40 years old as we say that. But I just thought, I thought Corny was excellent here. First time we've heard him on commentary. Definitely not the last time, you know, throughout the years where there's this promotion or others. Uh, he's, he just really does a good job, you know, getting himself over as a heel, but also getting his guys over. I mean, at the end of the day, they won this match fair and square. They didn't cheat. So they showed they could get in there and battle. And I thought that was something good to take away from this, too. Coming out of that match, we get ready for our first look at a newcomer coming to Mid-South Wrestling, part of a drive for younger, faster wrestlers. We'll talk about this in a moment, but let's hear Bill Watts setting up this promotional video. Some fantastic young stars slated for Mid-South in 1984. And one of the ones I think that impressed me the most is a youngster named Terry Taylor. As we said, rather brief, there he is, Bill Watts introducing Terry Taylor. And we then get a video with music, a version on Peacock, and of course the version for those of you, those of us who have the original versions. But a video of Terry Taylor over footage from Memphis. Any comments on this, Mike? Uh, the song that he's on, on the original, yeah. that plays as Terry Taylor is doing this, you know, video pack or not, you know, as this is airing various clips from Memphis, obviously. The song, though, that they play is a very slow song. Some days are diamonds. I'm not a singer, but that's the song that this video package is, <laughs> is, is played to. And... um yeah, I don't remember this. I, I remember, well, I'll say this. I remember Terry Taylor in the other video package we'll, you know, talk about later on down the line, but it wasn't this song. It was, what was it? Freeze Frame. Freeze right? Frame! Yeah. 
freeze frame worked much better for Terry Taylor. Not this slow, some days are diamonds by, I believe, John Denver. Maybe I'm wrong, though. I'm not a music person. So the song did not match what we were seeing in the clip. That's for sure. Well, here's Bill Watts wrapping it up. I'm sure all the ladies are going to enjoy Terry Taylor. He'll be here in, live in two weeks. An exciting youngster, and I think that everybody's going to enjoy his wrestling. Also, we'll be coming back for our television main event, Leaping Lanny Poffo, the Iceman King Parsons against Hacksaw Butch Reed and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. But first, these messages from your Mid-South Television Network. All right, so what Bill Watts said is the ladies will like Terry Taylor and everyone will like his wrestling. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the ladies did love him. I mean, he's a good-looking dude. I, I'm i not the biggest Terry Taylor fan, so I'm probably not the one to ask that question to, <laughs> as I say that. I don't know. What did you think of it? I mean, maybe we should save that till he's in the area wrestling all the time. Yeah, we'll be, maybe, talking, maybe we'll, we'll be talking about him more. Again, this is just the first mention, the first time we've heard anything about him, but there'll be more to say about Terry Taylor, one of Mike's favorites, as we've just found out. But we then get our TV main event, the Mid-South Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Jim Neidhart and Butch Reed, versus the Iceman, King Parsons, and Leapin' Lanny Poffo, Rick Ferreira, the referee. Mike, big pop. Even on Peacock with the dub music, you could tell when We Are Family hits. I feel like there's more dancing for him than there is for the dog right now. What did you think? I've said it a number of times, whether it's on Book of the Territory, and I think I maybe even said it here before. That song that Iceman just come out to, Sister Sledge, um, We Are Family, is, is a really, really great song. It fit him perfect, and you nailed it. The Peacock and WWE Network, the dubbed over music, it doesn't do the entrance justice. When you watch the original and you hear the song and you hear you see Iceman coming out and you look at the family, you can see the fans on Peacock and the network. You can see them dancing and they're having a good time. And you're right, Brian. I mean, it's like they're they're in Club Mid South and it's almost better than another one bites the dust when it hits. They are into this and and Iceman is very charismatic with his, you know, entrance to the ring. And, you know, he does the little dance and they love it. This yeah. song is perfect. This song is perfect for him. Iceman's great here. Unfortunately, his tag team partner is there in his bathrobe. Uh, you are absolutely right. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, Iceman is a tremendous. I don't hate Lanny Poffo, but yes, this is his. He's his preposterous, though. He's preposterous. Like, even here. He does like little like fake baby face moves, like lift his fist up and just go, yeah, like, but no one's saying anything. It's just like he's trying to act like a baby face as opposed to being he, someone that people are cheering because you're a baby face. It would, so you just said something so good. Lanny Poffo in Mid-South tries to come across as a baby face and he tries really hard. Iceman doesn't even try hard, just kind of goes through the motions with what a baby face would do. But because he's got natural charisma, he doesn't have to try hard, and the fans react. Whereas with Pafo, they don't react. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. They just don't react to him. He does not get reactions. And it sounds mean, but it's just a fact in Mid-South. They don't react to him. Well, he did do impressive stuff. And in fact, here on commentary, once again, Jerry the King Lawler with Jim Ross... We hear Jerry Lawler comment on a move that Lanny Poffo did. We would now call, I guess, some would say the Rana, a standing Frankensteiner, Hurricane Rana, but well, Rana, Hurricane Rana is actually a different thing. But what we would, I guess, call the Frankensteiner, here's Jerry Lawler trying to describe it briefly for the first time. Well, you know, Iceman King Parsons. Look at this. Look at this Leaping Lanny, you know, that's got to play some tremendous mind games on the opponents because... Which way is a man going to come at you? You know, you don't know. He's unpredictable. He is, as, you know, he is just as effective. Uh, this may sound funny in a way, but he is just as effective using his feet as weapons as, as his hands. I mean, I, I saw him uh, recently uh, turn completely upside down, wrap his feet around a man's neck, and uh, fly and mare the man with his feet and his legs. You know, it's just amazing. Right, Mike? Am I wrong? Is that Jerry Lawler describing the first time you've seen the Frankensteiner? 
I, that's what it sounded like. Because I mean, if it would have been a head scissors, he would have said that, right? I mean, because a head I scissors, think so, yeah. A head scissors. We know what a head scissors is called at this time. I mean, it's it's the it's a defined move. We know because we've heard people call it before. I mean, we saw Mike Jackson do it during the midnight match. He did a head scissors takeover. So I, it can't be that. He must be referring to the first time he would have seen what he would have, what we know as a Frankensteiner. That's the way he described it. Well, this match goes on for a long time. It fills up the remainder of the show. So they have to have commercial breaks. For some reason, Bill Watts decided that although he is clearly on a set with no noise behind him, there is no sound anywhere. He's going to now pretend like he's in the building while the match is happening, looking over to the side that he doesn't look, pretending like he's watching the ring. Here's a short example of that coming out of commercial break. Battle is still going in the ring. There's been no decision. And Director Royal Link, let's go right back to the ring and pick up this exciting main event. And again, you can't really tell if you're just listening to the audio, but Bill Watts is looking to the left like he's watching the ring and his voice is more energetic than it had been before. What do you think, Mike? You, Yeah, you stole my thunder again. He's okay. <laughs> it's great because there's no noise. He's He's... I don't know if he's at Iris McNeil here or he's at the TV studio with the Mid-South backdrop right there, but there's no I think no the TV studio for the record. Okay. I, and I was going to say probably so as well. There's no noise though. He's looking to his left like he's throwing it right back live to what we're witnessing. And it's so obvious. I mean, if they did this today on television at a TV tape and people would be like Twitter would explode. Why would you fake it? And that's my thing. I'm like, we know you're not there, Bill. Why are you faking it? Just, you know, just do it like you're throwing to it as a, as a cut. I, I, it, it's more absurd because he tries to make it look like he's live watching it when he's not. Well, Mike, let's go back to the action. At this point, Butch Reed and Jim Neidhart take control after taking care of the Iceman. But let's go to this, and we also get some commentary from Jim Ross on Lanny Poffo. And he's really taking it to Neidhart and Reed. As you can see, just as I said, he's not only firing the fist, he's firing the feet, too, and uh, put them both down there for a moment. Well, the referee, Ricky Ferrari, has really got his hands full because all four men, now, the Iceman goes out, collision, a tremendous collision, tremendous collision with Neidhart and Iceman. Now, Parsons, Parsons is out on the floor trying to shake the cobwebs there. Now, Reed... Ref, ref, the good move by the referee. The referee there separating the men. The referee trying to separate the men. You got to watch out for Neidhart now. Referee Ricky Ferrara and Neidhart with a cheap shot. A real cheap shot by, by the anvil Neidhart as he kicked Poffo right in the head. And Poffo coming back into the ring. But Reed, look at this. Reed, oh. Reed has rammed. The Iceman's head right into that steel ring post. Oh, he's out. Man. I mean, he's out. His head hit right into the post. Lanny Poffo now is in a tremendous predicament because Parsons is out on the floor from resulting from that tremendous blow to the head on that steel ring post. And the bad thing, the referee didn't even see him run his head into the post there. He was busy with Neidhart in the ring. Parsons is in bad, bad trouble here. And Neidhart has that front face lock, another punishing hold. He's oh, he's got that. busted. He's busted. Oh, he's busted his my head gosh. Up. Parsons is busted wide open. He's got a tremendous laceration to the head. Parsons is out on his feet. And look at Reed. Look at Reed, arrogant. Arrogant Reed waving by, but he turned his back on the wrong man. Great move by Poffo. Jerry Lawler said it before, those feet are lethal weapons. And Leaping Lanny Poffo, I tell you what, Jerry, it takes a lot of intestinal fortitude for a man, any man, to stay in there against two men the caliber of Neidhart and Reed. Well, I don't know what would be the best thing here. I mean, he is really taking, like you said, not only does it take fortitude, but uh, he's taking an awful chance here trying to, well, he almost, he almost won the match single-handedly there, but he is taking an awful chance trying to stay in with the Mid-South Tag Team Champion single-handedly. Well, you know, uh, in, in some circles, uh, Leaping Lanny Poffo, as we alluded to earlier, is a little bit maligned. You know, he's a Poffo, so that's, that says enough in most circles. But right now, Lanny Poffo is showing a tremendous amount of courage, and he is really trying to represent him and the Iceman to the best of his ability against 
two of the toughest men in all of wrestling. And that's twice he's almost gotten the pinfall on the guys. Leaping Lenny Poffo now. And I tell you, Jerry, I've been, I've been sitting at the desk and around Mid-South Wrestling for a long time. I don't think I've ever sat here in, in this exact situation. We've got Lenny Poffo by himself against two two animals well what did, did they take where did they took the Iceman to get some uh, medical attention i would think that if i i don't i don't think he could come his head no, was bleeding yeah i don't think he could come back i don't know the you know this is a very unique a very unique predicament well mike there it is a lot happening the Iceman busted open taken to the back we'll talk more about that after we play more audio of the second part of this match but what are your thoughts on the match as it's transpiring and Lanny Poffo taking on Neidhart and Reed by himself. Well, I was wondering what they were going to do because, like you said, they start this thing with a lot of time left in the, the TV episode. So it was going to be one of your longer television matches just based on that uh, as it went on. I mean, we, did, we didn't know it originally as we were watching it, but, you know, it, they, they, it's the last match, so it's the main event. Now, they did say main event, but they've said main event before, and then they'll do standby. So there's that. Uh, I was glad Jerry Lawler did not say they were taking him to a medical facility. He, he said he was going to get him some medical attention. I guess that's good. But that whole situation started, as you heard. Iceman collides with Neidhart, takes a nice bump to the outside, and then he's dazed. And then Reed sends him into the corner post, and that's when he gets busted open. I didn't remember watching this actual match from back then as a kid. But I, as I watched this and was taking notes, I'm like, wait, when's Iceman coming back? Because I mean, he's he's literally gone. Like he went, I guess, to the back up the stairs, and he's out of there. Like, so Lanny's in there. You'd think he would be getting some sympathy, but I don't know. It just felt like he really wasn't. Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, the fans are standing, but they're just—I don't know—they just didn't feel really loud. But Iceman is busted open. Lanny is left alone to wrestle the tag champs, which is going to be no f small feat. The deck is really stacked up against Lanny at this point for sure as whether he can weather this storm and get a win. So, I, you know, I, I'm i not sure why they did this whole thing with Iceman getting posted and whatnot, but I guess this is what they wanted to fill time up with this week, and that's that. And some of this may ring familiar, and it probably will again when the Iceman comes out, because it's clear that whoever Mid-South Wrestling's doctor is bandages head wounds one way. Because it's the same bandage DiBiase wears in 85 after he gets posted and he returns later in the show all bloody to wrestle Ric Flair. But let's go to the finish of this match. We'll talk about it on the other side, Mike. Once again, Neidhart and Reed versus Iceman Parsons and Leaping Lanny Poffo. I don't know if the ropes at this point in time was it was a good omen or a bad omen. It might have been better for him to beat, get beat right there and save some permanent injury, but Poffo, he's not giving up. You've oh, got to give it that, to him. Oh, there's that big slam. The gorilla slam. Oh. The gorilla slam. And Wait a minute, the people are cheering. The people are cheering, and I we can't see from our vantage point. It's the Iceman yeah. coming back. He's the got Ice, that head wrapped up. Iceman Parsons, Iceman King Parsons has come back into the ring. And boy, I'll tell you what, Iceman King Parsons, he's bandaged up. You can tell he was severely lacerated. And referee Ricky Ferrara has... He's calling for a disqualification, both teams. He's, he's calling a halt to it, Jerry, right oh, here. The Iceman is cleaning house. Iceman King Parsons severely lacerated, coming back into the aid of Leaping Lanny Poffo. The referee, Ricky Ferrara, has called for the bell. He Ooh. has signaled to us, Jerry, a double disqualification here on Mid-South Wrestling. Man, Jim, that's like two trains colliding when they threw those two guys together in there. The anvil goes over, and Poffo wants to go for the pinfall. Poffo, the bell has rung. They don't realize it's over. The bell has rung, a double disqualification. Wow, what exciting action. What a great tag team battle, a double disqualification. You know, that just proves the old saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Prove that Lanny Poffo has a lot of heart. It also proves that you can't scare the Iceman, that when you hurt him, he just gets motivated. And Butch Reed, you and Neidhart at some time are going to have to face the Iceman one-on-one. -on -one. 
We want to thank you again for inviting us in your home. We hope the holiday season has been a great occasion for you and your family. Next week on Mid-South Wrestling, a tag team title bout, a first on TV in a steel cage. One fall, no disqualification, Mr. Wrestling 2's mask versus the titles as Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum T.A. put it all on the line against Hacksaw Butch Reed and Jim the Anvil Nightheart. In two weeks, the Country Music Association's Country Comic of the Year from 1973 through 1981, Jerry Clower from Yazoo City, Mississippi, a great person and I'm proud to say a friend of mine, will drop in here on his favorite wrestling program for a visit. More news about that. TV championship tournament that will be coming up on Mid-South Wrestling for the TV championship and a $10,000 prize. And now thanks again for joining us. We hope you tune in next week. We'll see you right here on Mid-South Wrestling. And there it is, Mike, the conclusion of the show. I want to get your closing thoughts on the match. But once again, Bill Watts coming out of that match, looking to the left, screaming like the match is actually happening in front of him. And then he just goes into the pitch for the future. What are your thoughts wrapping up this week's episode? It looks so fake the way he's looking <laughs> to the left. They, they cut to it and he's looking to the left and, and he's like, wow, look at that. Oh, fake. boy. <laughs> That's exciting action right there. I mean, it's just, God, it's just, it looks, it looks terrible to be honest. But, uh, you know, I guess he did that back in the day. I mean, again, it's loud. We hear the bell ringing in the Irish McNeil. We hear the bumps. We hear the guys fighting. And we go from that to silence as Watts looks left and welcomes us back in. It's it's absurd, but it is what it is. The match. So Iceman comes back out and you pointed out something that I was going to mention, how Ice has got the, the head wrap on. And it is very reminiscent of Ted DiBiase that happens at the end of 85. So I did think that Ted obviously was busted open. I mean, he hit a gusher. I mean, that, that, that bandage was basically red, but um, it, it, yeah, I would agree with you. The same person who wrapped Ted's must've wrapped Iceman's and that's a joke. I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming the guys wrapped it themselves. However, yeah, he's pretty wrapped up and you can see the blood is, is coming through. The thing that's nuts about this is Iceman didn't do anything to get, his team DQ'd all he did was come into the ring, make his entrance. Now that he's wrapped and recovered, Poffo didn't get pinned the whole time he was out there. Technically there's, I guess no foul in the fact that Iceman had to go get bandaged up and come back. But as soon as Iceman comes in and he's fighting, Ricky Ferrara calls for a DQ. And then I think we're told it ends up being a double DQ which really didn't make much sense. So like I always say, everything wasn't airtight, brother. Uh, it just felt like they wanted to get out of it at a certain amount of time, and that's how they did it. And then we saw Watts in his fake look to the left. Wow, look at that action maneuver. But there was really no reason to DQ it or double DQ it. Would you agree? They would even use a weapon, Brian. I think they just wanted to end the episode. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to end it right now. Yeah. That's what I felt too. So I, I agree. Um, and we, you know, I don't know if you mentioned, I can't remember now you, as, as I'm talking, we get the image of Jerry Clower, who we've been promised again, he will be here in a few weeks. Yeah. They do put his image on the screen when Bill Watts is kissing his ass again. Yes. Well said kissing. his. <laughs> well, with that, Clower. with that, we wrap up another episode, the Christmas episode of the mid South wrestling television review podcast. A few notes. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash ArcadianVanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I definitely try to post various clips of the shows that Brian and I discuss. And so that you all can kind of see some of the same things we see as we as we do this. Um, what was the one? I'm trying to remember now as I'm saying that. There was one that I posted uh, after we. Oh, Lanny Poffo. Wrestling 2 and Lanny Poffo. Yeah, yeah. When when <laughs> when 2 goes, take Poffo here. Like out of the blue, just just runs him down. 
I posted that one for for you all to see and for for so that you could see the research smirk when Magnum goes, I don't know what the heck just happened here. And Reese's like, me too. Yes, he didn't know. So I try to post clips, but give me a follow there at Mike504Saints on Twitter. And then you can come listen to Book in the Territory at tinyurl.com slash bttpod. That's tinyurl.com slash bttpod, where we are well into 1990 on our NWA Saturday night on TBS reviews. 1990 is something else. And it's for the things we're watching and covering, there are times when we shake our heads, there are times when we laugh, there are other times when you go, that was pretty good. It is a menagerie of interesting and weird and crazy things from time to time in 1990 in the NWA and WCW. So you can come listen to us there. It is myself, Hardbody Hopper, and Doc Turner. Uh, it's the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast for a reason. The language is strong, the jokes are terrible, but it's fun nonetheless. So please give us a listen. And you can find us wherever you get this podcast. Just search Book in the Territory, wherever we are Podcast Attic, iTunes. Everywhere you listen to the Mid-South Television Review Pod, you can listen to Book in the Territory as well. Uh, Brian, um, this was a nice little fun Christmas episode. Now, I need to go to bed tonight and see if Santa has put what I want under the tree. You know what they say about Santa? He wears red. He's a Russian. <laughs> you know what reminds me of Bill Watts? You ever watch Seinfeld, that kid who goes to uh, meet Santa and it's Kramer and he's been reading communist stuff and he starts saying something to the kid? It's not even that bad yet. And the kid just starts screaming, Kami, Kami, traitor to our country. That's Bill Watts. We'll see what <laughs> yeah. he does next week for New Year's here on the show. But until next time, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Jace Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!